You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. Our scripture this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 7. This is verses 36 through 50, and I'm reading from the Good News Translation, which is the same translation as your pew Bible. So I invite you to page 89 as we read scripture together this morning. A Pharisee invited Jesus to have dinner with him, and Jesus went to his house and sat down to eat. In that town was a woman who lived a sinful life. She heard that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, so she brought an alabaster jar full of perfume and stood behind Jesus by his feet, crying and wetting his feet with her tears. Then she dried his feet with her hair, kissed them, and poured the perfume on them. When the Pharisee saw this, he said to himself, If this man really were a prophet, he would know who this woman is and what kind of sinful life she lives. But Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Yes, teacher, he said, tell me. There were two men who owed money to a moneylender, Jesus began. One owed him 500 silver coins, and the other owed him 50. Neither of them could pay him back, so he canceled the deaths of both. Which one, then, will love him more? I suppose, answered Simon, that it would be the one who was forgiven of more. You are right, said Jesus. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your home, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You did not welcome me with a kiss, but she has not yet stopped kissing my feet. You provided no olive oil for my head, but she has covered my feet with perfume. I tell you then, the great love she has shown proves that her many sins have been forgiven. But whoever has been forgiven of little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The others sitting at the table began to say to themselves, Who is this even to forgive sins? But Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our Redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, Amen. A few years ago, I discovered the joy of a paper mouse pad, of throwing my traditional mouse pad out the window and buying one of these packs of paper that doubles as my to-do list. We've talked about it already. I really like a to-do list. I operate best when I have one handy. So each week I fill out my to-do list and then I go throughout my week and I complete the tasks and I check the boxes. And then sometimes there are weeks where it feels really good to take that completed to-do list and then put it through the shredder. I can't tell you how many weeks that has felt so good. But I've been using these, uh, these notepads for so long that this is actually the second style of one that I had. I used the other one until it went out of print. Um, the one that I had earlier had the tasks up, um, organized by importance. So it had a box that said, gotta do for my most important stuff. 
and ought to do for my less important stuff and want to do for the things that I wanted to do and then a box that said never ever do. And that may have been my favorite because one of my Chi Alpha kids saw that and suggested to me that I put liking the Minnesota Vikings on my to-do list and I'll leave you to guess which box I put that in. This current one has the type of tasks listed by the type. So there's a box for things that I have to do, a box for people that I have to call, a box for emails that I have to send, and then there is a box for notes. And then there in the little corner, there is an opportunity for some reflection. As you complete your week, you can ask yourself, was this week an information overload or was this week an interruption overload? And both of them have the opportunity to answer yes, no, or maybe. Was this an information overload or was this an interruption overload? Which got me to thinking about our scripture for this morning because in a lot of ways, our scripture could be qualified as an interruption overload. Luke's gospel finds Jesus in the middle of an interruption from his typical missional purposes. Rather than finding Jesus among those people that the world has written off, or rather than finding Jesus teaching his disciples about the nature of the kingdom of God, or even rather than finding Jesus in a moment of rest and prayer, we find Jesus at the table of a Pharisee. Does that seem a little weird to you? We find Jesus at the table of a Pharisee. It's an odd interruption. Last week when we, when we met Jesus, he was at the table at the home of Matthew, the tax collector, and he was spending time around what the Pharisees would call all the wrong people. Jesus was with the tax collectors. Jesus was with the outcasts. Jesus was with the people that we might expect Jesus to be around. And now here he is at the table of a Pharisee. And believe me when I tell you that there will be no tax collectors. There will be no outcasts. He is at the home of Simon the Pharisee. And you might wonder why Jesus was there in the first place. Why was Jesus there? By this point in his ministry, Jesus was gaining a reputation for being a friend of the sinners. And now he's at the home of a Pharisee that would not see a sinner as a friend. And the easy answer to the question of why Jesus is there is because Simon asked, Simon invited Jesus to have dinner at his house, and Jesus went. We talked last week about Jesus not having a demographic sweet spot, that Jesus is willing to simply go where the people are. And Jesus is at home with those that the world has written off, and what we learn in Scripture is that Jesus is just as at home with the elites whether it's friend or foe, whether it's insider or outsider, whether it's elite or an underdog, it doesn't matter to Jesus. He's willing to break bread with anyone. 
And so maybe the real question isn't about Jesus. Maybe the real question is why would Simon the Pharisee invite Jesus to his house in the first place? Simon would have clearly known Jesus' reputation. Simon would have known Jesus' attitude towards the Pharisees because of the actions and the words of Jesus. Simon did not have to invite Jesus to be at his table. So why is he there? Doesn't this seem like an interruption from Simon's normal social sphere? So I got curious about that question this week, and I did a little bit of digging, and some of the commentaries I read gave us some possible answers as to why Simon did this in the first place. Could it be that Simon is a fan of Jesus? Not all of the Pharisees disliked Jesus. And really, when you think about the different groups of Judaism, Jesus was closest to the Pharisees than any other group. But then we read the rest of the story and realize how poorly Simon treated Jesus, and that becomes unlikely. Maybe Simon is looking to bait Jesus. The Pharisees were looking for opportunities to trap Jesus in his words, trap Jesus into saying something heretical, give them something to lay a charge against him with. Maybe Simon's doing that. He could be. Jesus does not shy away from calling out the religious leadership for their hypocrisy and their cruelty. And Jesus clearly has no problem schooling Simon in his own house as just after this interaction between him and the woman happens, Jesus teaches him with a parable about the nature of forgiveness and grace. Or could it be that Simon just wanted the clout of having Jesus a becoming more and more famous wandering rabbi as a guest at his table. And when you take into consideration the invitation and the lack of the hospitality, this becomes most likely. But here at this party, things are about to go from awkward to worse because the story is about to be interrupted even further. Despite the lack of hospitality towards Jesus, but probably not his other guests, Simon and his crew find their way to the table. They're lounging at the table in the way that was customary with their feet sticking out. And all of a sudden, an uninvited and unexpected woman makes her way into the gathering just to be close to Jesus. And it's there that she finds Jesus and kneels at his feet and begins to weep. No matter why Simon invited, this, invited Jesus to the table, this is not how he envisioned the night going. And he has no problem voicing his disapproval. He disapproves of the woman being there. He disapproves of the woman touching Jesus. He disapproves of Jesus letting it happen. What becomes clear as we read this story is that this woman is not welcome. She is not invited. She does not belong. She is not a welcome interruption. And the sooner that she can exit the story, the better for Simon and all the rest of the good people around his table. But yet Jesus 
does nothing. And Jesus says everything. As a way of deterring Simon, Jesus teaches a parable and then pronounces forgiveness over the woman who had come to the end of herself. In Jesus' eyes, this woman is not an interruption. In Jesus' eyes, this woman is not even a guest at the table. In Jesus' eyes, this woman is a host. Because it is she who extended hospitality. It is she who welcomed Jesus as she washed and dried his feet. As, he anoint, as she anointed and kissed Jesus' feet. As we meet Jesus at this unlikely and interrupted table, we learn two things about Jesus. The first is that Jesus doesn't mind being interrupted. Jesus doesn't mind being interrupted. I don't know about you, but I know that in my own life I've been through things that felt like they weighed heavily upon me. But when the idea of praying about them came to my mind, I couldn't bother thinking about interrupting Jesus like that. It didn't rise to the level of being prayed about. So I resolved to solve it on my own, which goes as well as you can about imagine it going. And I come to the end of myself and I say, hey Jesus, I'm in this mess. I don't know what to do. Maybe you do. And in the way that Jesus works, Jesus works and redeems this hardship. Even at a fancy party, Jesus does not mind being interrupted. Jesus does not mind being interrupted, and that hasn't changed. There is nothing that we can't express to Jesus. There is no joy too mundane. There is no sorrow too devastating interrupt Jesus. It doesn't even matter if you interrupt Jesus and then just fall silent or start crying. Interrupt Jesus. The second thing that we learn is that interruptions are bound to happen. I love my to-do list. But there are times by Tuesday I've chucked the thing out the window and put that sheet through the shredder and darn, that felt good. Interruptions happen. And like, don't get me wrong, there are nice interruptions like when someone brings me a Diet Coke and a Twin Bing, but there are other interruptions that aren't nearly as nice. There are interruptions that are not nearly as welcome. And we may even be interrupted by people that we think of as less than or unworthy or let's just call it annoying. Each time we face an interruption, we have a choice to make. The choice we have to make is about how we will respond. We choose how we'll respond to interruptions. And as we grow in Christ's likeness, our reaction should look a lot more like Jesus than it does Simon the Pharisee. Jesus doesn't mind being interrupted. 
And maybe we'd be better off if we didn't mind either. And so as we continue our journey through the season of Lent, may we be open to the interruptions we might face along the way. May we take our interruptions in the same way that Jesus does and turn them into opportunities for growth and learning and change. May we shake off our inner Simon and take interruptions for what they are, interruptions for growth and opportunities for growth and love and grace. There is no interruption overload when we see all the opportunities that God has in store for us. Would you pray with me? Loving God, we give you thanks for interruptions. We give you thanks for moments that are outside of our norm and outside of our plan and the way that they just have this ability to teach us to see the world more like you. God, help us in those moments of interruptions when we are tempted to uh, give in to our frustrations, to respond disapprovingly, to mutter under our breath. Help us to see the grace of the moment. Help us to see your opportunity in the moment. And when we face things in life that we don't know what to do with, remind us that we can interrupt you because that is the depth of your love for us made known through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.